This podcast is from the Rand Corporation, a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more Rand analysis, reports, and commentary on issues at the forefront of today's policy debate, visit www.rand.org. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming. Um, I'm Sue Bodilly. I'm the uh, director of Rand Education, and I welcome you today. Um, I want to jump right in on this briefing. Uh, it's about New York City's social promotion policy. Um, a major concern within the United States is whether we are promoting children who have not learned what is needed to be successful in school or in life. Social promotion, keeping children with their peer group despite not having learned the curriculum, regularly occurs in our urban centers. Some claim it has resulted in the deterioration of the value of the high school diploma. Several states and urban districts have taken steps to stop social promotion, instituting test-based promotion. More importantly, only a few have attempted to put in place a series of early interventions for children at risk of failure. New York City's one such place. Four years ago, we began a, an evaluation of New York City's steps in this direction. The work you're going to see today, presented by Jennifer McCombs and Lou Mariano, was done for the New York City Department of Education. Chancellor Klein was briefed just a few weeks ago, and the Education Policy Council there was briefed last week. And upon its release, it was covered in the New York Times, the New York Post, the Associated Press, and on local TV news stations. And while its findings are very important to New York City, um, the findings also point um, uh, in directions that other cities and states can take to improve their promotion policies. And without uh, further ado, I'm going to turn this over to Jennifer McCombs. May I say just one more thing, though? Today's briefing is being recorded. A video will be available online at www.rand.org, or you can listen to today's discussions by subscribing to Rand's Congressional Briefing Series podcast on iTunes. And I just want to remind you that this report is downloadable for free, again, at www.rand.org. Thank you. Now, no child left behind ushered in an era of test-based accountability, whereby schools and districts are held accountable for student performance. In response, several states and districts have, have begun to adopt test-based promotion policies, which require students to pass the state assessment at a certain level before being promoted to the next grade. Now, such policies, while hotly debated, have been adopted by states such as Florida, North Carolina, and Texas, and by several large urban districts, including Chicago, Philadelphia, in New York City. And our study tracked the test-based promotion policy implemented by New York City using an extensive state, a set of qualitative and quantitative data. It provides a rich portrait of the implementation and effects of the promotion policy in our nation's largest public school system. Okay. Now, over the past several years, the practice of social promotion, promoting peers without regard to how they've been performing on their state assessments, has come under increasing fire. So when you pick up a paper and you read about how students graduate from high school without knowing how to read, or whereby they lack skills necessary for the workplace, social promotion is considered the cause of that. And it's a particular concern for the business community. Now, test-based promotion policies are widely seen as a way of ending um, social promotion and by providing struggling students an additional year to master academic content. In addition, proponents argue the test-based promotion policies remove subjectivity from the promotion decisions and that they provide incentives to schools and students to improve. Okay. 
However, opponents cite prior research that shows that retention disproportionately affects minority and low-income students, which is particularly disturbing because it results in the increased risk of dropping out of high school before graduation. In addition, opponents are concerned that retained students will suffer from low self-esteem and problem behaviors. However, the research base from that is much more mixed. Now, New York City is the largest public school system in the country, educating over one million states each year. And to put this into perspective, the size of New York City's student population exceeds the total population in eight of our small states. Okay? In addition, the district faces a number of challenges. 40% of students come from a home where the, the um, primary language spoken is not English, and about three-quarters of students are from low-income families. Now, while the context of New York City is unique, much can be learned from the design and implementation of its test-based promotion policy. The policy embodies best practice set out by the National Research Council. It includes identifying students who may struggle to meet promotion standards early in the year and providing them additional instructive support throughout that year. And I'll describe more about that and other aspects of the policy later. Now, in 2003-2004, New York City implemented the policy in the third grade. The very next year it extended it to the fifth grade, and it extended it to grades seven and eight in subsequent years. Okay. Now, Rand was asked by New York City Department of Education to evaluate the fifth grade promotion policy. So while New York City's policy covers a number of grades, our study and the findings I'm um, going to be discussing today come from the fifth grade. Okay. Now, the study had three purposes, to track implementation and to estimate the effects of the policy on students' socio-emotional outcomes and academic outcomes. Our research team gathered extensive data and used several analytic methods to answer these research questions. So to, to, to evaluate the policy implementation, we collected and analyzed data from 80 case studies, which included um, interviews with principals, teachers, school support providers, and observations of classrooms. We also conducted three years of surveys with principals and support providers. Okay, we used two quasi-experimentals to uh, examine longitudinal academic outcomes for four cohorts of fifth grade students. And those are three cohorts of students that were held to the policy and one um, cohort that was pre-policy that we used for comparative purposes. And finally, to examine the impact of the policy on student socio-emotional outcomes, we used regression analyses to analyze survey data that we collected in each of three years. We tracked two cohorts of fifth grade students over time, tracking one cohort into the seventh grade. Now the studies show early promising short-term benefits of the promotion policy. While a number of students were needed services at the beginning of the fifth grade, by the end of the fifth grade, very few students were retained. Those school administrators did cite some concerns. The majority um, cited several important benefits of the policy for schools and students. Importantly, retained students did not differ from promoted peers in terms of their feelings of school belonging or their confidence in reading and mathematics. The promotion policy and supportive services helped students improve their fifth grade achievement. And those positive effects continued into later grades. And in addition, retention had a positive effect on student achievement that persisted into the seventh grade as well. So you know, we're going to go through the four major questions that we answered. I'm going to start by talking about how the, uh, giving you a little bit of background about the promotion policy and how it was implemented. And then I'm going to turn it over to Lou, who's going to describe the effect of the policy on students' socio-emotional outcomes and academic outcomes. 
Okay, so in 1999, the National Research Council issued a set of recommendations designed to improve the fairness and validity of test-based promotion policies, and New York City's policy aligns with these best practices. The promotion policy excludes special education students and early English language learners. These are considered student groups that have specialized educational needs. The policy provides supports for um, students who may struggle to meet promotion standards. Those students are identified at the beginning of the fifth grade and provided supportive services in school, after school, and given the opportunity to attend Saturday programs. And for students who don't meet promotion standards in the spring, they're given additional instruction through summer school. Okay, the policy offers multiple opportunities and means for students to meet promotion standards. For students who don't meet standards based on the spring state assessment, they're given the opportunity to show performance through a portfolio review that was done in June, and given an opportunity to take a summer assessment after attending summer school. Okay? In addition, the policy requires an automatic district review of all retention decision and provides for a parent appeals process. Okay, so in New York City, all of the promotion decisions and service decisions are based on performance levels set out by New York State. So those are their four performance levels. And so level three and level four are considered proficient under No Child Left Behind. In order to be promoted, a student in New York City has to score at at least level two in English language arts and mathematics. Okay, so that proficiency standard is a step below what's considered proficient under No Child Left Behind. Okay, in addition, in terms of the promotion policy and our evaluation, Level two and level one are broken down further into high and low, okay? So students entering the fifth grade, scoring level one or a low level two based on the prior year's assessment, those are the students that are targeted to get assistance, okay? Level one students are felt targeted because they're felt that they're not going to be able to meet the promotion standards without special assistance. And for the low level two, there's a fear that the students won't progress and that they'll slip behind without some sort of special interventions, okay? In the spring, if a student is not performing at um, level two, they're sent to summer school. And then at the end of fifth grade, students still scoring at level one are retained. Okay, so I'm gonna walk you through how this took place in terms of the process over the course of the year using the first um, fifth grade cohort held to the policy. That's the 2004-2005 policy cohort. So in there, approximately 64,000 fifth grade students were held to the policy, and that's approximately three quarters of all fifth grade students. You know, remember that there are exclu exclusions for early English language learners and special education students. So of those students who were held to the policy, about a quarter needed support at the beginning of the year based on prior year's performance. By the time they take the spring assessment, only 9% actually fail. Those are the students scoring at level one and who are at risk of being retained. Uh, some of those students have passed through a portfolio of their work in June, but about 8% of students who are held to the policy end up getting sent to summer school for additional instruction. And by the end of the summer, only 3% of students are retained in grade. Okay, so a very small percentage. And over time, performance improves, and by 2007-2008, only 1% of students, all fifth grade students, are retained in grade, and that's approximately 600 students. Now, it's important to remember that this is descriptive information. Okay, these improvements may be due to the promotion policy or any other efforts to improve student performance. And when we discuss our achievement findings, we'll talk a little bit about how we tease those effects apart. So, approximately a quarter of students needed support at the beginning of the year. What did schools do to help them? 
Well, first, it's important to understand that prior to the promotion policy, schools did provide additional support to students. However, the policy likely expanded the type of students receiving supports, getting schools to focus more on those sort of the low-level low two students instead of the very lowest performing students. It also provided schools with additional funds that they could use for curricular materials or to hire instructional specialists. And um, the policy also asked for more structured provision of services and monitoring of student performance using data by schools throughout the school year. Now, in terms of the supports provided, um, support providers use specific intervention programs that are developed to work with struggling students. They provided general assistance to students um, that's sort of based on individual student need or what's being done in the classroom. And there's also a test taking, um, focus on test taking strategies. Now, almost all schools were able to provide this type of support in small group settings for students. One-on-one -on -one tutoring was less prevalent. However, our modeling indicates that it was positively related to student, improved student achievement, so it is an effective one. And this is a finding that's very consistent with prior literature. Our study identified two challenges to service provision. The first of which was that schools reported that service providers were sometimes pulled away on other duties. And so this might mean that someone who was supposed to be providing services was asked to do substitute teaching that day or to administer some assessments. And so for a student, that might mean that if they were supposed to receive support services three times a week, that they may only received it twice. In addition, we found capacity issues in schools with very high proportions of in-need students. So these high-in-need schools um, were far less likely to report being able to serve all of their in-need students than other schools. Okay, now New York City Department of Education also dedicated substantial resources to Saturday schools and to summer success academies. Those are specialized summer schools. And they had a similar structure. They each provided four hours of additional instruction. Um, and the focus was to have small class sizes, no more than 15 students per class. However, we did find differences in take-up rates and attendance rates of students. So take-up rates for Saturday school were tended to be quite low. Less than 30% of in-need students attended and um, actually enrolled in the school. And then their attendance tended to range around, four, average around 40%. So they were on average attending 40% of the sessions. This really was not the case in the Summer Success Academy. We have very high take-up rates, very high attendance rates. Take-up rates were around 93%, attendance rates around 83%. So obviously, for summer school, there's a very real threat of retention at this point for students. So that might not be surprising, um, that attendance. And they were also mandated to attend summer school as well. Now, an important finding with implications for policy design is that there appears to be a participation threshold before benefits are seen. Now, for example, our analyses indicated that attendance was not related to improved performance in mathematics until a student had attended at least seven sessions. So we found that both for Saturday school and summer school. And so the general low attendance rates in Saturday school likely limited the benefits um, for many students. Okay, we were also interested in understanding the buy-in for the policy at the school level. And so we found that um, administrators tended to be quite positive about many aspects of the policy, and the majority reported that it had focused their school's instructional efforts, it had made um, parents more concerned about their students' progress, and that it provided their school additional resources to help serve low-achieving students. 
Okay. There were concerns as well, and those centered around problems with overage children. And those are students who had been retained multiple times in grade and thus were two or three years older than their peers. Um, some people thought that it placed too much emphasis on state scores, and interestingly, that it prevented schools from retaining students who they felt should be retained in grade but who had passed the state assessment. Okay, so I'm now going to turn it over to Lou, who's going to describe a little bit about how the policy affected students. Thank you, Chen. So as we mentioned, um, one of the big concerns about retention is the fear that uh, it may negatively affect the student's self-confidence and their well-being. So in order to inform that, we collected survey responses from approximately 8,000 students in each of three years. Now analyses of those survey responses indicate that retained students reported similar attitudes to their promoted peers in terms of the three factors we measured on our survey. Those factors were feelings of school belonging, confidence in reading, and confidence in mathematics. Now, these findings may seem counterintuitive, but they are actually consistent with some prior literature where no negative effects of retention were found on measured socio-emotional indicators. And with that, I'm going to move on to our academic outcomes, and in particular, we're going to examine three questions. Do students who receive support services in fifth grade perform better on the fifth grade assessments than they would have in the absence of the policy? Do any of those benefits of early support services promulgate into future grades? And then finally, do retained students perform better in later grades than they would have had they been promoted? The measures we're going to consider are the annual spring assessments in English language arts and in mathematics. Now, before I launch into the results, I want to say just a few words about our methodology. We get to observe student outcomes under the policy. But in order to understand what the impact of that policy was on those outcomes, we need to compare them to what they would have been for those same students had the policy not been in place. This is typically called the counterfactual outcome. We don't ever get to see that. So what we do is we use statistical methods called quasi-experimental designs. Now these enable us to draw upon the experiences of plausibly similar control groups in order to estimate what the outcomes would have been in the absence of the policy. By plausibly similar control groups, I mean students who look like those who were treated, but were not in fact treated themselves. Two such look-alike groups are available to us for this study. The first is students who are in the cohort immediately prior to policy inception. And the second is a set of students who were in the policy cohorts, were not treated, but were just above treatment thresholds. Now there's an additional complication in that we're observing outcomes at times in different years and student assessment outcomes were trending upward both in the city and statewide over the period in which we're examining. And so we needed to make additional statistical adjustments to account for this upward trajectory in student assessment scores and isolate the effect of the promotion policy. Now, I've just painted a very broad brush on our methodology. And typically at this point, I would learn and launch into a much more detailed discussion of how we actually produced our estimates. For this audience, I'm going to move directly into the achievement results. However, I do want to mention that if you're all at all interested in understanding the details of how we produce our estimates, those methodologies are well documented in the report, and I encourage you to go take a look. And of course, Jennifer and I are also available for questions at the end of the briefing. So I'm going to walk you through a simple example of one of our achievement outcomes so that you can get oriented to the format in which I'm going to display the outcomes more generally over the next three slides. The example I'm going to use 
are fourth grade students who scored in the high level one range on the fourth grade spring English language arts assessment. So these are students who at the beginning of fifth grade would have been identified as being in need of support services. They'll receive those services and we can observe their average outcome on the fifth grade English language arts assessment that's represented by the red dot here. We use our methods to estimate what that average outcome would have been had the policy not been in place. That's the green dot. The difference between those two is what we're attributing to the promotion policy. Now the green dot is an estimate, so along with that we include a measure of precision in the form of a 95% confidence interval. That's the vertical error band that, that kind of intersects through the green dot. Now in the cases where students are performing significantly better under the policy than they would have in the absence of the policy, you'll note that that red dot is going to sit above the top of the green error bar. But in the cases where there's no statistically significant difference, the green line is going to intersect the red dot. So with that, let's move on and look a little more broadly. We'll stay in the case of the support services that are received at the beginning of the fifth grade year. And now on this slide, I'm showing you on the horizontal axis three different groups of students. In the middle, we have the high level one students that we saw on the prior slide. Along with them, I'm also showing low level one and low level two students coming out of fourth grade. For each of these three groups, we can observe what their average outcome was on the fifth grade assessment. We estimate what those outcomes would have been had the policy not been in place. And so we see that for all but the lowest performing students, there are positive benefits to the early support services uh, in English language arts on the fifth grade assessment. We can look similarly for mathematics. And here we find that for low level one or low level one coming out of fourth grade, uh, continue to perform in the level one range in fifth grade and we do not see significant uh, differences for these students under the promotion policy. Now a natural question to ask would be why there's no effect for the lowest performing students. And in considering this it's helpful to keep in mind what it is that we're measuring. We're measuring the impact of the support services under the policy versus the support services these students would have received when the policy was not in place, i.e. in the prior year. And so the low level one students were the students who were most in need, the ones who were most likely to have received services prior to the policy. And so what we believe we're seeing here is that the difference in the, in the amount and type of service provided under the policy was not enough to register a significant difference for this group of students. A few more notes about this slide before we move on. Uh, students were much more likely to be in need of services for English language arts than for mathematics when they entered fifth grade. The overwhelming majority of students who received support services or eligible for support services were in the low level two range and high level one students outnumbered low level one students by about a 10 to 1 ratio. So that partially explains why there's so much less precision in the low level one estimates and that also indicates that there's less statistical power to observe differences for these low level one students. Okay, so this was a very short-term result. We had intervention services in fifth grade and we're looking at fifth grade outcomes. A very natural question to ask is, do these benefits actually promulgate into later grades? So on this slide, we're gonna look at the very same set of students and we're gonna examine their outcomes two grades later in seventh grade. And so what we see for English language arts is that the positive benefits of the support services do carry over for the high level one and low level, low level two students coming out of fourth grade. For mathematics, we also see that the low level two students continue to perform significantly better. 
But now high level one students in mathematics are also performing significantly better than they would have in the absence of the policy two grades out in seventh grade. Whereas on fifth grade we didn't observe any significant differences on the spring assessment. Well, what happened here? Well, as we saw in the prior slide, these students were still on average performing well in the level one range. And so they received an additional treatment after the fifth grade spring assessment. In, in particular, that a large majority of them attended the fifth grade summer success academy, so they received additional summer instruction. And the benefit of that summer instruction is being reflected here on the seventh grade results. Now, in other analyses that we're not showing today, we did, uh, we did find that there was a positive benefit to summer instruction that did carry over into later grades. So, um, in summary, you know, we're seeing that the benefits of support services in fifth grade are carrying out in the later, later years, in particular two grades out into seventh grade. Now, our final question was whether or not students who were retained performed better in later grades than they would have had they been promoted. And so on this slide on the horizontal axis, uh, I'm indicating the performance level of students at the end of their first year in fifth grade, just when, they, just when the retention decision was made for them. So I've parsed it between low level one and high level one students who were retained. And what we see for both English, English language arts and for mathematics is that there are positive effects here. Students are performing at a much higher level after being retained, the red dots, than we predict they would have been had they been promoted, the green dots. Now, the difference in um, magnitude here is much larger than what we saw for the support services alone. Uh, these results are reflecting the additional year of instruction that was received by students, and along with that additional year of instruction came an additional year of support services in fifth grade. So it's not surprising that the magnitude is actually larger. So with that, we'll move on to our policy implications. So what we saw were near-term benefits, both for the support services under the policy and for retention, extending out two grades into seventh grade. For retained students, it was three years later into seventh grade. And so these near-term benefits set up the potential for longer-term benefits to also materialize. Now, ultimately, the policy's effect, and this is going to be judged, on whether the benefits outweigh the cost in the long term. From a student's perspective, are these students more likely to graduate? At the time of graduation, are they, are they likely to be performing at a higher level? Okay. And, uh, for society, do the benefits outweigh the monetary costs relative to other interventions that these students may have received? And so New York City will need to continue to, to track students treated under the policy to understand how uh, the long-term benefits actually do develop. Okay, finally, uh, our study did result in some findings that we believe would be of particular interest for other districts who are also considering such policies. Um, as we mentioned, New York City is an interesting case to examine because it follows the best practices that were set up by the National Research Council. And we recommend continuing to provide early intervention services to students who are identified as in need at the beginning of fifth grade, and also continuing to provide late intervention services for students who are at risk for retention in the form of summer instruction. We encourage school leaders to enable intervention providers to work with students on a more consistent basis. We also recommend that it's important to collect and use data on the individual interventions received by each student. Now, such, step, such detail was unavailable to us in our study, 
But we do believe that analyses of such data would allow us to identify the most promising methods for helping students. And then most importantly, we encourage the city to continue monitoring students treated under the policy into the long term. And with that, I'll conclude, and I'll note that the report, along with two associated technical reports and a research brief, may be found at the website shown here at the bottom of the slide. This presentation is provided as a public service by the RAND Corporation. Visit www.rand.org to learn more about these issues and to explore RAND's free online library of more than 10,000 policy reports and commentaries.